Hello and welcome to the Boz Podcast. I'm your host, Shabad Singh. This week we talked to Mun Kamal Singh on the case of the West Midlands Three. Uh, before we get into that, uh, where we'll talk about topics of uh, trade relations between UK and India and how that uh, trade relationship has often intersected with uh, and come at the cost of uh, human rights abuses by India and UK's looking the other way. We are here every other Tuesday. We speak to thinkers and journalists and contributors to Boz about their work in Boz or about issues uh, pressing of the day in regards to the Sikh and Punjabi diaspora, as well as issues back in India. So without further ado, please do have a listen and uh, hope you enjoy this talk with Manakamal Singh. Manakamal Singh, welcome to the Baz podcast. Thank you, Shabbat. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, before we, we get going and talking about uh, this recent case of the West Midlands Three and, and some of the context that leads into it, I wonder if you can uh, introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners and uh, tell them a bit about yourself, about uh, your work as, that you do as it pertains to, pertains to this case, and, and also a bit about how you came to cover um, these issues in general. Uh, sure. I mean, um, you know, my my involvement in the case is is literally as a uh, how can I put it as a bystander, as a as a uh, UK based Sikh um, who has been uh, interested and close to uh, Sikh issues uh, over the last um, fifteen fifteen or so years. Uh, that's my interest in this case. Um, I wasn't involved on the legal side or or heavily involved in in any other way but it was it was actually as a as a spectator as such but i i felt the need to um put some opinions forward and share what i felt was not being um picked up by the mainstream and that that was the big the big concern as an as an observation now um i mean just to give a backdrop of the 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 seek active uh Sikh community in in the uk it it, it is quite close-knit um and i don't know how it works in the us and and canada for instance but the uk being smaller geographically um activism um you know uh, campaigns they they tend to have um not the same number of people but you get familiar with with the people involved and since I came into Sikhi um, around about uh, mid two thousands, uh, and becoming more more involved with with the with the um, activism scene, um, I started meeting more and more people, and you develop a bond and you develop a, a a very deep bond actually when you're involved in in campaigns together. So, um, two of the Midlands three, um, I have known them over the years. Um, I've met him at Keith and Samagams. I've met him at camps, you know, and um, so I know, you know, who they are. And um, having seen this story evolve, obviously, you know, it felt more personal because there is a, a, a you know, uh, a more personal connection there as well. So that's how sort of the interest that, that I had in the case. But the, the main 
um, driving driving point, if you want to call it, was literally the fact that um, this had all the ingredients that should have been picked up by the mainstream, I felt. And the fact that the mainstream's lack of interest is systemic and is something um, that we perhaps may not be able to address, but we need to be aware of um, that, that lack of interest in Sikh stories and Sikh activism. Yeah, certainly. And to that extent, you, you did write a very uh, compelling article, I thought, uh, from uh, titled The Extraordinary Case of the West Midlands Three uh, for Boz. And um, in that, you, it, uh, you do um, touch on, in the end, a bit of the historical context that lies around this story. Um, before we do get to the modern day, maybe we can touch on that a little bit uh, and and you know, briefly touch on what we know about um, the UK's involvement in the planning of Operation Blue Star in the 1980s and how particularly that relates to trade relations between the UK and India. Sure. Um, I mean, what, what really came about was, was around about 2014 when um, you could say government files were accidentally released to, to the National Archives. Uh, and what that revealed um, was uh, a, a document um, in which we could see a uh, special uh, British Special Forces officer visiting Amritsar in in 1984 to advise the the Indian Army uh, ahead of 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 Blue Star. Um, now th- that that was a big revelation. Uh, it, I think, we suspected that as a community there were rumours. I always remember rumours um, about this, but. To see it in document, to see it leaked in, well, I wouldn't say leaked, but like, well, you could say leaked. It was accidentally released in 2014, actually firmed that up. So, you know, we could really start joining joining some of these dots and, and looking back at that. Now, you know, invo- having been involved in, in campaigning uh, and lobbying in parliament, there's always been... Um, I feel there's always been a screen, there's been a barrier with us engaging with with MPs um, and the response back um, from from members of parliament, particularly those involved in cabinet. Now, when you do start looking back at this and you start looking at this relationship that stems back from, from the 80s, you start seeing that reasoning behind why there was, you could say, shadow banning or, or the blacklisting of... Um, speaking up um, about, about Sikh issues um, in India. So we started, we saw this in, in, in the leak in 2014, um, and that led to uh, an investigation. It was a big, out, um, a big outrage by the Sikh community. We gelled quite well at that time. Um, we did challenge uh, the then uh, Conservative government, um, and there was a... Uh, you could say there was an, an, an investigation that was a review that was carried out, it was known as the the Hayward Review. Um, didn't feel that review was uh, robust enough. Um, it was too narrow, and um, with that, you know, uh, you know, there, there wasn't really the uh, the outcome that that we believed um, was was the case. You know, what should have been the case. It, it, we felt that. Um, it didn't reveal um, everything, and we knew that, you know, and, that, and that's that's where it sort of uh, lay buried. Uh, and then this led to um, the researcher being commissioned, Phil Miller, who was the the individual, the researcher who uh, initially released these documents that he uncovered in 2014, 
to do some further investigation and he was commissioned by uh, the Sikh Federation to to write a report which was known as the Sacrificing Sikhs um, report, which is available on the um, Sikh Federation uh, website uh, if you want to look at that in more detail. And in that we do see um, a lot more around the repression of Sikh activism during the 80s under the influence of... Um, of of the Indian government um, on on British activity taking place within the diaspora, uh, the Sikh diaspora. So that in in that report you'll see a lot more. And this goes as far as even media, um, you know, the the, the BBC uh, and, and ITV not covering um, any any of the the issues, being told not to cover the issues. We see the um, the blocking of Nagarkeetans. Uh, Shahidi sports tournaments during the that part of the eighties during eighty four, um, and then we we see the link to um, to the Westlands uh, helicopter uh, helicopter deal that was taking place at the time, and and um, you know other other trade deals as well. Um, so and that that was in a case where the Indian military was set to purchase billions of pounds worth of helicopters from the British uh, from British manufacturers is that right that's correct yeah and you know that that was that was um well that, that was a very big deal um and it was used as leverage uh, by by the Indian government at the time uh, as the report sacrificing Sikhs um uh, discusses and so this this um, pattern of behavior and this this relationship that uh, stands between India and the UK seems very much alive uh, in today's uh, cases that we're talking about here. In in, in your article and in other articles written uh, on Boz about this topic, um, w- they tend to start back uh, previously with the the arrest of Jagdar Singh Joho uh, uh, in in uh, India. Um, under under similar sorts of accusations to to the West Midlands Three, um, can you talk just briefly about about Jagdar Singh Joel and and how you might see it as congruous with that past that we just discussed, as well as the case of the West Midlands Three? I mean the the Jagdar Singh Johor case. I mean it's it's coming up to four years now. If, if I remember correctly, it was November um, when he was you know when he was forcibly abducted by by the Indian police. Um, you know he's with you know as a British citizen is is born and bred in the UK just just like myself, just like um, you know many other hundreds of thousands of us. Um, eh, um, you know he's the way he's he was picked up the way he's been treated um on both sides by by the indian by the indian state and the neglect um that the british uh the british government has had in in dealing with this situation and allowing it to to actually now have been four days i mean we're talking about 65 trial hearings um we're talking about you know uh, you know 1430 odd days of incarceration you know that's you know that's shocking um torture you know and and you know people who know how the system works in india they know that the state can hide behind this type of bureaucracy and they can use um this type of bu- bureaucracy and so-called legal process as as a weapon for never ending 
um, rounds of court and 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 detention. And you know, in in my view, uh, that's just you know that's that's you know you could it's just plain tyranny, really. Um, but the way that that's been carried out, and and again, the lack of um, interest, not just by the government, by the mainstream as well. I mean, um, thankfully, you know, in a way, thankfully, Jagdar Singh Johal being Scottish has meant that there's more solidarity from Scots, and it's been picked up by the Scottish media. Had had Jagdar Singh Johal been perhaps London based or or um, based in England, I think perhaps even that interest would have been a lot less. But you know, the Scottish media have have, have you know at least recognised him as a Scot, but he's not recognised as a Brit. And you know that then talks about the systemic racism that we we see in society. That again, you know, just because Jagdar Singh Johal's skin color is is not, you know, put it this way: if Jagdar Singh Johal was a white Briton, this would have been a very different case. Would have been a different case by the way it would have been handled by the British government, and the way the Indian government would have also handled it. The Indian uh, judiciary, it would have been very different if Jagdar Singh Johal was white. So again, this is you know, it does boil down to. Uh, Jagdar Singh Johal being a Sikh, and you know the 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 age old, um, well, it is an age old, you know this 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 issue that we've had of 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 Sikhs in prison, um, and in that system being 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 held under arbitrary uh, arbitrary detention. And uh, something that's maybe worth touching on is that at around the same time is when uh, the height of kind of. Uh, rhetoric uh, around Brexit is uh, is taking off, and where the debate is uh, growing, and and there seems to be this push moving towards Brexit. It was it was uh, suggested by by some in the media and some uh, observers that um, Brexit may increase uh, ties between India and the UK because of. Uh, how it would affect its trade relations with mainland Europe. Uh, I wonder if you have any insight or thoughts about about that and how they could possibly be connected. I mean, you know, just to, just to we'll, we'll sort of go to the West Midlands three there. If we look at the timing of of the um, the, the case of the West Midlands three when they were um, picked up for for extradition when the when the first raid took place in December. Um, 2020. That was following um, the the foreign secretary's visit uh, to India. Literally days after the foreign secretary uh, Dominic Raab arrived back in the UK, we we saw these um, these very theatrical raids take place, um, and then you know the leaking within the media. So you know we we do look at this, and you know you do, you do have to join the dots and start thinking about okay, you know we're we're not you know we're we're not stupid you know we're all intelligent people we can see that there is some kind of relationship here between securing trade relations and you know in, ensuring that you know in india's judiciary system stretches into into the uk and that was the risk with the west midlands three that's why we all woke up with this case because that's you know we that lack of trust and confidence that we actually had um in the judiciary in the UK as well at, at, at that point in time was that the fact that this risk here means that you know not only have, do we have to deal with the the Indian media um, and and the way they portray Sikh activism, but then we had a risk here that you know they that judiciary could actually stretch um, into the UK and we could start seeing more than just the West Midlands three uh, being picked up. 
for their involvement in activism. Now, the West Midlands Three, I mean, they do have, um, you know, they've they've always been open about their visits to to Punjab in the two thousands. You know, they've been involved in field work in Punjab, um, particularly around the extrajudicial killings that. Um, is, is public knowledge that we all we all know took place during the during the nineties. So you know they are they were you know involved in in on on grassroots on the ground activism. So again you know being picked up and and uh, you know being being treated the way they were treated because of that involvement um, is a concern to to many people involved in activism. Um, just not in the UK, but this could stretch on to, to other Western nations as well. And this this uh, case of the West Midlands Three dates back uh, some time. Uh, it, it begins all the way back uh, in 2009, if I'm not mistaken, when they were doing that very type of uh, that very type of uh, investigation of of extrajudicial killings. Um, and they are accused of being involved with an attack on Ruldha Singh, who mm-hmm. is a, a member, and I believe a, a high-profile member, was a high-profile member of uh, the RSS, of course, the militant wing of the BJP, uh, the, the ruling party, uh, current ruling party of India, um, who are themselves Hindutva extremists. Um, so how, how, do, how does this kind of connection get get made or get fabricated and and what is the plight uh, from that time till now of of these west midlands three i mean you know again you know with with the what we've seen historically with with the cases in india i mean once you get into that system um you know it's it's easy for cases to be uh individuals to be implicated in the cases i mean jagdar singh johal initially you know, it was picked up for, for for one case, and you know, I think he's in a situation where he's got now six cases on him. You know, that what could have happened here with the West Midlands three? You know, say for instance, hypothetically speaking, they they were extradited on the grounds that there would be no torture um, relating to the case that they're being extradited for. But we do not have any confidence in the system in India once if they had ended up back in um, in India um, and perhaps other cases being put upon them, um, ending up in a situation of torture based on, on other cases. So it's, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're not talking, you know, it's, it's framing, you know, we're, we're talking about um, th- that, that's the, you know, the feeling that we, we have here is the, you know, it's easy to be framed for cases. Um, and again, you know, with, with Ruldar Singh, you know, he, he, he was high profile. He was a, a he was a, Sick member of of the RSS um, at the time, and he was he. There was, I think, but I believe he was murdered, and it's even come out that the you know the witnesses who said he was murdered was mur- he was murdered by um, do uh, monas, um, which means that you know there was two individuals with with their haircut. Um, if I remember reading correctly, somewhere you know they 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 went off on a motorbike. So again. Um, you know, no evidence to link it back to to you know the individuals who, who are outwardly um, the West Midlands Three are outwardly sick looking. It, if that was the case, anywhere, but the West Midlands Three um, were clearly not in uh, Punjab at that specific time when that um, uh, killing took place, that murder took place. 
Um, and, you know, that, that was the, the crux and that was a very important part um, of the case. Yet, although it was investigated um, a decade ago by the British police, by West Midlands police, they concluded that there was um, no case to, to, to answer. We see a decade later, um, the same three being picked up again. Um, but this time round, you know, um, an extradition. Um, to to send them back, so that's that's what really um, got the reaction within the community, with the Sikh community, saying, "Look, hang on a minute, you know, there there wasn't enough evidence there. There was no new evidence presented, as we know now as well, from from what the um, the, the the legal team has told us. So there was no new evidence that was presented uh, within the ten years. Yet, um, you know, it was it an extradition order was was put out on on the West Midlands three. And uh, I think it's interesting to note that the um, counselor or the attorney that, that ended up uh, representing the West Midlands Three, I think among multiple attorneys, but one of them is Gareth Pierce, who famously also uh, had defended uh, Julian Assange's uh, extradition on and, and, and spoke of this as a basically a matter that is hearkening kind of the a, a, a deeply author, authoritarian turn in the British government, uh, in, in, in their comments and, uh, and, and in their case highlighted just what you said, which is that this has been tried and tried again with the same evidence and turned down at every turn. And yet, um, this time around the Indian government, uh, you know, uh, Coincidentally, I suppose, after a, an important trade meeting uh, that you just referenced, uh, is, is, is calling for their extradition. But this time they have the friendly signature of Preeti Patel, uh, who is the foreign secretary, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what, She's the home secretary. Excuse yeah. me, the home secretary. So, and, and Preeti Patel, um, maybe we can touch briefly on, on Preeti Patel's role in this. I mean... This is somebody who has uh, very fond words to say of, of uh, Prime Minister Modi uh, and has very kind of right-wing authoritarian uh, leanings in her policy uh, and her ideas. Uh, so, so do you think that, that her being in that position um, has a part to play in this, uh, in this specific case and it actually being signed, extradition being signed off this time? Uh, absolutely, it it does, and you know, um, not just Priti Patel's overtly um, comments and um, you know her 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 fondness of 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 uh, Narendra Modi and 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 the BJP, but you know, in 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 general as well. I mean, she's you know, I think she, perhaps in my lifetime, Priti Patel is probably the most controversial Home Secretary that the the UK um, has ever had in terms of. Um, all forms of commentary, uh, commentary, uh, leaning, you know, leaning to the right. Uh, well, not even leading to the right, very blatantly right, uh, right wing. And you know, um, I'm sure you find it strange, just as I do as well, when when someone um, of of colour um, in in a, in a Western country is is so right wing and is is put so out there as in in terms of their their right wing views. Um, you know, so in general, you know, not just Priti Patel's link there, but just her views and the way she conducts 
um, her business as a home secretary, uh, many people are calling uh, for a home uh, for her resignation, and that's just not um, a, a sick call. I mean, there's been a call from from um, the sick community, and there's been a you know there's a, there's a change.org um, petition going out there that's hit eleven thousand signatures for a resignation. If you look at that, those signatures, it's completely mixed. Um, you know, the majority are six, but there's there's also you know many non six in there. Well, well, going back a little bit. Another kind of context that that is surrounding this whole case, and before we kind of get get to the actual uh, proceedings, which just happened on September 22nd, so very recently, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but also surrounding the context of all of this is, of course, the the Indian farmers' protests, which are you know one of the, probably the biggest uh, uh, grassroots mobilization in in modern history. Uh, calling for a halt and a reversal of uh, farming laws that in effect would would allow private uh, large private holdings to play an outsized role in the uh, Indian uh, uh, like produce markets and and uh, agricultural goods markets and would further immiserate the already heavily immiserated Indian you know kind of average uh, Indian farmer and six are, of course, at the core of this, something we've covered a lot on, on this podcast. Um, and and, and I, the reason I bring this up is because similarly to the way um, large financial interests combined with state interests played a part in the, uh, in the case of Operation Blue Star back in 1984, uh, I think we can, we can imagine that... Uh, it's again not only the state but also large financial interests that are playing a role uh, in in this kind of um, allowance or you know uh, encouragement of of India's behavior. Uh, I mean, do do we have any kind of insight or ideas about how the kind of financial current financial interests um, of of the actual corporations are playing a role in all of this or is that still murky uh i mean you know it's it's a difficult one i mean you know we know there's there's more to it but you know evidence wise it's it's difficult to to bring that forward certainly the suppression of of six will will stem back to the fact that the the largest voice in the diaspora um uh, around the farmers' um, issues have been the sick voices. So you know, if you if you want to send a message um, to 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 those you know to the people on the ground, then you know you it's you know it's almost intimidation tactics in a way um, to say you know um, well you know we we can pick people up from from all the way here as well. Um, so certainly there's there's a link there with uh, the timing. Of the you know what took place um, in December with the um, the raids on, on and the picking up of the West Midlands Street because don't forget December um, was was probably the peak at that time of uh, the the protest you know I think if I'm not mistaken that's we, we, this might have been the time when we had Rihanna and and Greta and 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 everyone there so it was it was big news you know it was it was getting out there and um, you know again the association of the um, the sick with 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 all of that um, certainly would have had um, some some influence, and we, we I think 
when you talk to elders and you talk to people who have been involved in in the movements, they've they've always said that that the movements gets um, the, they get suppressed, um, and they'll 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 always be a way of suppressing the movement by a diversion or or creating some kind of some kind of fear. And that's it's not just with you know with with the Sikh movements or whatever. I think that's with with any movement. That's that's how statecraft will work, um, and and that's what you know will will take place there. But certainly, there's a link, um, if not financially, but certainly politically, um, there's a link to 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 the farmers' protest. And yes, I mean um, the the current situation now with the West Midlands Three, um, the actual case and the actual proceedings themselves. Uh, can you can you tell us about that? I, I believe you were there. Were you were present? I, on the I wasn't. Day. No, and and I think maybe my, my no no maybe maybe my my um, article um, gives that impression. I mean, everything that I've picked up on is is what I've picked up from from the from the sangat um, from from the people out there. I mean. Um, yes, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be very open. You know, I, I, you know, one one of the West Midlands three. You know, I did, I did have a conversation, a few conversations to the you know, during the build up, um, and they were emotional discussions. You know, they were emotional because it was the first time um, I actually thought, you know, hang on a minute, this, you know, the night before the trial, uh, I was thinking this could be the last night these these three um, three guys get to spend with their kids. You know, for all we know, so. Um, it, it, you know the, the link was there through through those you know through Sangat and through that emotional connection um, uh, as as Saad Sangat, but you know in in terms of you know the the dropping of the case you know the the, the fact that there wasn't enough uh, the evidence wasn't strong enough um, to proceed, um, so within ten minutes of 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 the case you know the the the, the case was dropped speaks speaks volumes, because you know for for those ten months. Um, the families, you know, the 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 stress, um, the undue stress that these three individuals uh, been through, um, you know, was 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 unnecessary, and you know, and 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 the community um, as a whole as well. So, over those ten months, these three weren't alone. And certainly, one thing that's come out of this case is that um, the punts got your back. And and I, and, I, and that's one thing I really felt um, was a powerful takeaway from this was that. Um, there is mobilization in the Sikh community, and and for all our flaws, um, the strength that we have is that um, we do mobilize and we can mobilize, and we've seen that over thirty. We've seen that over not in thirty years. We've we've got we've got hundred years of that history um, of of being able to mobilize and provide that support. So the fact that on the steps of Westminster Magistrates Court, you know, we we, we have several hundred. Uh, of the Sangat were there from young to old is is a massive testimony um a massive testimony the, to that the beautiful scenes of uh of the three men leaving uh the court I mean, Jakarta, yeah. uh, coming from the Sangat were definitely a beautiful thing to see even from far away and i yeah and i was there in spirit <laughs> I, I may have not been there on the day for whatever reason but in spirit you know there were there were thousands of us um in there, and you know, and I think that we can't take that away from the fact that that's how we're all connected into into this um, into this story. It's not just three, you know. It's you know, it's three hundred thousand of us, or whatever you want to say, whatever the number is. But that's how many people were were standing um, with the three on the day. 
And now uh, you mentioned, of course, the some of the sort of uh, fallout after after all of this is the calling for resignation by Preeti Patel. But are you seeing any other kind of movement in the community in how to address these kinds of issues, um, perhaps proactively or or, or some kind of a, a grassroots movement and a direction to to fight back uh, in any way. I mean, Shabat, the the, the 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 one of the biggest concerns that I found in this case was the way the police handled the situation, West Midlands Police, and and that needs um, addressing, um, you know, immediately. And and the way the police have been used as an instrument um, in in this whole process. Uh, particularly the West Midlands Police is, is is of huge concern because policing is under scrutiny here in the UK anywhere, and and the policing reforms of the last decade or so has all been um, evolved around uh, has been mainly focused around the policing of ethnic minorities, um, you know the black community for instance. Now the the policing of the Sikh community, I feel is at risk, and many of us feel is is well not even at risk. It's it's deteriorating. And you know that 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 in itself as well needs needs mass addressing, but you know again the way the police were able to r- release documentation, share information um, that was published in the Indian media, um, you know not not even not just the West Midlands three, but there's been cases before of of raids um, a few years ago where five Sikhs. Um, were raided and and again how that information was was leaked to the uh, was was available to the Indian media how the Indian media was able to sort of portray that as being um, you know uh, well you know they, they were able to quite openly say that you know the Indian government was able to influence these um, these raids four thousand miles away um, in in the United Kingdom. So, so you have the West Midlands Police acting as almost like a political arm of the Indian well, we state. We have to uh, have to yeah. address that in in a big way. And you know, again, these these forums and um, independent advisory groups that exist with the police. I mean, I I, um, I I've been on independent advisory groups for the Metropolitan Police in London. Um, mm-hmm. I actually, I you know, although I speak um, quite quite openly about the way the police have handled this and the West Midlands police. I myself um, have a relationship with the police where I support the training of new recruits um, in terms of diversity and the new recruits in, in my local uh, unit here. When they join, uh, I, I, I give them a whole briefing on what it's what a Sikh is uh, on the Karpan, Kakars, etc. So, you know, I'm a firm believer that we work in collaboration and work together but then my concern here in a big way also is that when we don't when we see this kind of um you know these these kind of tactics being employed by the west midlands police where they release statements to the press themselves as well um where they talk about uh there's uh, an increase in uh terrorism there's risks around terrorism and there was there was, a, there was one that came out on the 20th of January of this year, on the day of Guru Gobind Singh Ji's Gurpurb. So the timing of that was was a, was a shock in itself, but but the headline itself um, was involved around, um, well, I think if I remember, I'm just seeing the headline here, please have identified a small threat, and, and it said small inverted comma, small threat from the Sikh extremists, and then the subheading, uh, a, police, a police chief 
has revealed uh, the West Midlands force has been targeting Sikh terrorists operating in the region. So they bring this out in in a in a statement. So that, th- this comes out in in a P, in a press release. Yet the community in the West Midlands know nothing about this. There's been no engagement with the Gurdwaras. There's been no engagement with grassroots organisations um, or anything uh, about this statement and and what the West Midlands police are claiming. But this then sets a narrative. This tends uh, sets out a communication and then creates a perception. So now. You've got this. You've got this out there on a Google search. If I was to type Sikh uh, extremism, I will see a 2021 article from January um, with that headline. And then you you read it inside there. You know, there's there's not much substance to the article, but yet you know that that big headline was allowed to be sent out and demonize um, a community um, and allow that. And you know, look, none of us are saying that. You know, you, you know that that. It's it terrorism is a profoundly serious criminal offence. You know, we know that. You know, we're we're not. You know, we're not fools to that. But if you're going to use that statement, if you're going to make those kind of statements, then you know, um, involve us. You know, talk. Give us the stats. Um, you know, tell us what 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 this what what cases you are talking about. And they never did that. Right. And then when when the cases do come up, uh that are labeled as anti-terrorist and they are full of these essentially fabricated uh, stories and the folks that are being targeted as in these terrorist cases are people that are doing uh, research on human human rights abuses. Um, it, it sounds like terrorism here is being applied in a way, again, to polit- that is politically motivated and and has a you know the 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 me the is being used as a means to um quash the dissident voice uh that is that is raising genuine concerns i mean sometimes what you see in these article when that specific article was the word separatist and terrorist almost interchangeable now you know again um you know what you you're straight away assuming is that you know any form of separatism or, or that kind of thought is um, is a terrorist thought, and if if that was the case, then you know, um, you know, Nicola, Nicola Sturgeon, um, leader of the Scottish National Party, you know, straight away, you know, you're saying that, um, you know, she's advocated for for uh, an independent Scotland. Is that is is she running a terrorist organisation if if she believes in all of that? So again, you know, it, but they're able to get away with using that interchangeable language. Um, but what you know, but that's a huge um, has a huge impact on on perception um, of of Sikh activism and and what we are. And something that you that you wrote in your your article is the the last paragraph that I thought was very poignant. Uh, and I think in contrast to the kind of activism that we saw rally around in support of the West Midlands Three uh, being a a dissident and, you know, um, a dissident and critical kind of activism that is looking to oppose uh, tyranny, um, we see, and you write, we see an increasing aesthetic portrayal of Anglo, in inverted commas, Anglo-Sikh relationships with war memorials being dedicated to tens of thousands of Sikh soldiers who served and died for Britain during the two world wars, the question that therefore arises 
is that in this 180-year-old relationship, who really benefits and who is continually being sacrificed? Do you want to maybe uh, talk a little bit about about that uh, about that paragraph and kind of what you're what you're thinking there? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that 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 really hits a nerve with, with me, and I think that that was sort of that emotional um, conclusion or climax to to the article uh, because you know. We, we 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 get seduced into the whole um sick soldier uh you know fighting fighting for 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 britain narrative um and you know look it's 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 there it's part of our history it's there it's probably it's the reason why you know migration and and everything started at the turn of the uh 20th century so you know we we can't erase it from our history but i think we do need to address and look at what we see uh, and the framing of how we see that um, era and that period. Um, now, at this point in time, there's been a lot of investment um, by the community themselves, by the Sikh community themselves, into these war memorials uh, that have sprung up across the uh, across the UK. There've been several now. You know, I think near probably we probably might be even reaching double figures now of, of um, the various different war memorials that that are that are coming up. Um, but you know. Does this really represent um, the the relationship? You know, are we, are we just trying to fit into some kind of box or or a subservient relationship um, with the UK to say, you know, we fought for you, therefore we deserve better? Um, the reality of it, you know, we do have to look at this um, and look at this history and say, you know, how how were six exploited? Um, you know, how were we used as cannon fodder? Um, you know, and the, and the lives that we lost. So. It has to be seen um, from a very different lens, and you know, currently, I think our investment in in this is overshadowing and masking um, the real relationship that I feel we have um, with the United Kingdom. And for the record, I'm going to be be called a hypocrite here because I am actually a trustee of the National Sikh War Memorial Trust um, that's looking at uh, erecting a a war memorial. Um, uh, dedicated to Sikhs in in the in the city centre in in London, um, in the heart in in the heart of the city. So, you know, granted that that's a very hip- hypocritical statement for me to make. But my evolution of thought since I came onto this project, since I've learned a lot more, and the culture, I suppose the woke culture has got a lot of thinking going on as well because we do look at the the, the Black Lives Movement, and now we do relate. Our history as well. And we're understanding our history better. We're 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 it's we're getting more clarity around it. We're seeing it through different lenses. And even now, from when I started on this project to where I am now, even I now question that even if there was to be a war memorial, either we take full responsibility with the narrative around the war memorial because these people didn't fight for king and country. You know, there there was a seduction, there was an exploitation, whatever you want to call it. Um, but you know the way the Sikhs came forward and and gave their lives. You know, is it something we should commemorate in the way we commemorate, or is it something that's a lot more darker? Um, Certainly than, than that. And I, I think uh, that's really well stated. I mean, I, I I think that the the notion or the question of sort of or the debate between memorial or no memorial is perhaps moot. And and rather, if you are going to memorialize that time. How will you do it, and will it be one that's 
that's like you're talking about, that's a bit more critical and a bit more dissident of that relationship as opposed to kind of um, saying, you know, look at us, uh, we belong here too, as though, as though that kind of allowing being, uh, you know, a community ha- can only belong in this broader culture if they have some sort of, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, blood sacrifice or, or, or contribution to the, to the, uh, state as opposed to simply, you know, humanity kind of governing who, who gets to be, who gets to live where and how, how, uh, people are treated. Um, and I, I think it's really, I think it's really commendable of you to bring up that hypocrisy and to talk about your own, uh, your own evolution there. And, and I, I'm grateful for it. Um, uh, I think that that's a good place to to leave things for now. Um, but I'm I'm so very grateful for your time, uh, Mankamal Singh, and I hope you'll join us again. No, absolutely. No, thank you, um, Shabat. I mean, as I said, the before we started recording this, I think these these podcasts are are great, and I've only really discovered these post lockdown um, mm. the of podcasts. So. Um, well, thank you for for touching on this subject and giving me the opportunity um, to to put my thoughts um, thoughts forward. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Okay. Why did you Thank you so much to Mankamal Singh for joining us today. Uh, I thought that was a really fascinating discussion, and I hope that you all learned as much as I did. Um, once again, uh, this is the Boz podcast. We hope that you join us every other Tuesday as we talk to, uh, writers, journalists, and thinkers in the Sikh community on issues of the Sikh and Punjabi diaspora. And we will see you, uh, Tuesday after next. Thank you. Bye-bye.